Episode 209, Shirley Novak, owner of an interior design firm and author of the book, The Story Up. You know what? Um, my favorite mistake has to do with being in the wrong place at the right time. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Shirley, her book, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 209. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. Our guest today is Shirley Novak. She's the owner and an interior designer at her firm, S. Novak & Associates. She originally graduated with a degree in laboratory science, but after marrying and having three children, she went back to school and has now run her successful interior design business for almost 40 years. She describes herself as a first-generation daughter of Polish and Russian parents. She recently published her first book, a historical fiction novel called The Story Of, and it's a book she says is loosely based on the life of her father, a Russian immigrant. So we will talk about that. A lot of things to discuss here today. Shirley, thanks for being here. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Um, There's a lot to talk about, but as as we always do here, and, you know, as you shared in, you know, initial messages back and forth, you know, you're aware of mistakes. It sounds like you're not shy to talk about them. But, you know, the question we always start off with here is this. What's your favorite mistake? <laughs> you know what? Um, my favorite mistake has to do with being in the wrong place at the right time. And I say the right time because if I can get a story out of something, it doesn't matter what I have to go through as long as it produces a good story. And this was a good story. Um, As an interior designer, I had to go meet an airplane at Logan Airport in Boston to pick up a coffee table. Now, this was in the cargo area of Logan Airport where I had never been. It's like off in no man's land. So I get there and the plane lands at 530 and the table was not on it. I was told, come back at 730. It will be on that plane. So I go to leave the airport. I said, I'll go have dinner at the terminal and I'll come back at 730. As I go to leave the terminal, I really don't even know how to get out of there because, as I said, it's off somewhere in the distance. Suddenly, I'm stopped by a state trooper who holds up his hand. And as I'm stopped, a whole entourage goes by of limousines and black vans and then a big limousine with the American flag on it. And I figured, well, they know where they're going. I don't know where I'm going. So I'll follow them. So I fell in line behind them. And all of a sudden, they come to an abrupt stop. And I look up, and I'm at the end of a private runway. Air Force Two is on the runway. And I am surrounded by Secret Service (laughs) agents. Yeah. And they're calling in my license plate. Now I am in a van with tinted windows. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So I'm trying to explain to them, you know, hey, I'm just an interior designer, leave me alone. <laughs> and I go to back up, but I can't. Every yeah. time I try to back up, my car stalls. 
and they keep me there and they were wearing dark glasses and they were calling in my license plate and I couldn't leave. Finally, the, the plane takes off and they all go into a building and I'm able to leave. My car backs up. So I went into the service station at the airport and I tell the, the serviceman what happened. And he said, he checks out my car and he says, there's nothing wrong with your car. He said, but do you have a cell phone? And I, at, in those days, I did have a cell phone, but it was hardwired into my car. And he said to me, I'll bet you anything it's dead. Sure enough. The cell phone was dead. And he said, no, he said, there's nothing wrong with your car, but they have a device where they can stop you from leaving if you're in a stop position. But if you had to be moving, that you know, they couldn't have stopped, prevented you from leaving, but they were preventing me from leaving. They disabled the van, he they said. They disabled he the van. And I thought, wow, I <laughs> now I'm a known terrorist. But okay. The- Have you been able to fly since? I, but so, I mean, you, you described eating in the terminal. This was clearly before 9-11 for you to this be able was to 19, do- This was the, um, we were in the middle of Desert Storm. And it turned out that Colin Powell had, had been speaking at Harvard's commencement that day. Oh. And he was in the limousine. And he was getting on the airplane. And they clearly thought that I was going to blow it up. But if you think this is the only time I've been suspected of being a terrorist, not so. Not so. A few years ago, I went to Italy and I had a medication that had to be on ice. And I called the airline first and I said, look, I'm traveling with ice packs. Is that going to be okay? Yeah, no problem. So I get to the terminal and again, I everything goes through the, you know, the security and suddenly... They stop, and I'm surrounded by TSA agents. (laughs) This is becoming, you know, my life. Um, They, they, when they looked at the ice pack through the screener, it looked like they were wires, but it was actually folds in the ice. Mm -hmm. And they were convinced there was a bomb in there. Oh gosh! So they called the bomb squad. And they took me over to a little area of the of, of the terminal. I was going to guess. I'm picturing. Yes, it always sounds like it's like yeah. There's some little room, a little room, and window and, room. and the funny thing is, is I know I'm not doing anything wrong, but they don't because I look like a terrorist. And as they're very very gingerly trying to open up this little blue bag, I was so tempted to just go, you know, boom, but. You know, I no, didn't. no, 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 no. That no, would no, be no, no, a mistake no. that maybe sent you to jail. Yeah, that would have been that would. But I did. I didn't do it because although I'm juvenile, I'm not that juvenile. I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you didn't do that. I know. And they yeah, were so yeah. apologetic. You know, they they really were very nice. But I said, hey, you know, I, I'd rather be safe than sorry. Sure. So I that mean, was another good mistake I made. I mean, but I, I mean, I mean, what what interesting stories. I mean, you want TSA to find something that might look suspicious and check it out, that's more reassuring than something that slips through. I mean, TSA, I mean, this is, you know, the difficulty of that, of that job. Like, you know, there are different studies where TSA or the um, government accountability office or whatever will 
intentionally test. Like they will put through a suspiciously, they will put it through a, a gun or a suspicious looking item to see if it gets caught. And I know the failure rate uh, I've read is very high of them not catching things. So it's it's good that they did. I'm glad they they didn't oh, yeah. off or put you in jail. Oh, yeah. And it was another good story. So, you know. Well, so now back to, I mean, an encounter with Secret Service. I mean, did, 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 how were, 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 were you inconvenienced or feeling scared? Like, were they, were they sort of threatening or you're just, they would, they, they wouldn't speak to me. They wouldn't, wow. That's they maybe wouldn't speak more troubling me. than if they yelled at you. What are you doing? Right. Yeah. No, they, they were calling in my license plate, checking out who I was. And I, you know, I opened my window and I'm trying to wave at them and say, hey, look at, uh, you know, this is a mistake. I shouldn't have followed you. But right. Yeah. I mean, with the way you were describing at first, black vehicle, something with a flag. And I'm like, oh, that was a motorcade. Like, I mean, yeah. I realized where um, this this was heading. Um, oh, gosh. Wow. <laughs> but, I, you know, oddly enough. Um, I wasn't I wasn't afraid because I knew I hadn't done anything wrong. But um, it, it was it, when I came home that night, I looked at my husband and I said, wow, have I got a story for you? <laughs> <laughs> so. So. So um, lesson learned is, um, yeah, if you if you see someone that looks like a motorcade, just keep your distance. Don't, keep your distance. don't try following. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But um and, and and then again the table was not on the plane at 7:30 either. So you know, part um, of the business. Wow. So <laughs> yeah. so speaking of that business so Shirley, I'm curious, you know, as it says in your bio, um you know, you started off thinking about laboratory medicine and laboratory science. Like I mean this would have been like working in a hospital or in a laboratory. Yeah, I was actually a surgical assistant for the first research team that operated on the unborn, we were the pioneers mm. in fetal surgery. And that was at Boston University Medical Center. Wow. And they, it, it was, I had only had an associate's degree, but they wanted someone with a master's degree. And they hired me because they said my enthusiasm was overwhelming and they had to hire <laughs> me. And they actually sent me up to the University of Rochester Medical School to take a crash course in hematology. And it was the most amazing experience working with them. And then, you know, federal funding kept getting cut. So the research kept getting cut and lo and behold. So then I ended up teaching instead. And then was that part of your pathway Then I was going to ask? Did you consider getting that degree a mistake or going into healthcare? Like, was that a mistake? You clearly left healthcare. What? I'm, I'm curious what happened. Well, I ended up teaching the medical assisting program at a um, at a at a medical assisting school at a school in Boston, <clears throat> and that was probably my favorite thing in in the whole world to do. I love teaching, but then I, I started having children, and mm. um, yeah, and. That was it. You know, I, I was a, a stay-at-home mom for a while. And uh, then I, I hired two interior designers to work for me. And long story short, they ended up hiring me. 
part-time, you know. So Was this enthusiasm I, again? They were impressed. My enthusiasm, yeah, because enthusiasm. I would go into their showroom <laughs> and I would see what other people were doing. And I'd say, what are you doing? What are you doing? But um, I left them after three years and I had a following. And I said, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it the right way. And so I went back to school and I took one course a semester for nine years and I got my degree in design. But at that point, I was already established. And um, yeah, and I, I was pretty, I was pretty well known in the Boston area. I did show houses and all that other stuff. So no one knew I hadn't graduated yet. Yeah, you, but, could, <laughs> you could get the job done. I got the job done. And in fact, my graduation was the same day as my daughter's. So of course, I, I wasn't even going to go to mine anyway, but she yeah. took precedent. Yeah. So, you know, Shirley, you you had said in, in initial messages back and forth, you said you're still running your design practice, trying to keep from making any more mistakes. So, you know, I was going to ask, like, do, do you have any methods that you use to try to prevent mistakes impossible. or a matter of learning from them? You said it's impossible. It, Tell me. Impossible. I'm still making mistakes. Uh, there's there's no way because number one, technology has changed so much. Um, I'm not as computer literate as I would like to be. Um, however, um, I'm still doing floor plans the same old way with, you know, tracing paper in a pencil and, and I can't do it on the screen. It just doesn't make sense to me. But um, I'm semi-retired at this point. I'm, I'm only keeping a couple of my favorite clients and they keep me busy. Yeah. And now I'm writing books. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, we... Um... We can talk about the, the 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 book here in a minute. The book again, um, Shirley Novak, our guest today, is the author of a novel called The Story of uh, dot dot dot. I guess that's part of the title. And yeah. we'll, we'll hear more in a minute of, of what that um, story is. But you know, I, I was I, there was one other thing you said in the message that I thought was worth exploring here. I'm just going to read it for everybody that you said making mistakes is human as long as I'm not the surgeon operating on the wrong appendage, <laughs> just reference back. Um, I mean, sadly, that does happen. Um, for anyone who hasn't heard episode 79, Dr. David Mayer was not a surgeon who directly made that mistake, but he was a young anesthesiologist in the room when a surgeon cut into the wrong, incorrect side of, oh, no. of a patient. That is a big, oh no. And it's, 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 um, you know, in situations like that where we have to take the most care to prevent mistakes. I mean, like what what what's the kind of mistake you might make? I mean, it's not life or death, no offense to interior design, right? I mean, if you pick the wrong color or I mean well, these the are client pretty- doesn't the client doesn't know that. They think it is life and death. They think if their <laughs> okay. furniture isn't in mm. by a particular date, it's my fault. And you know, with the supply chain being the way it is these days, it's brutal. But probably the most expensive mistake I made was um, when my clients would move out of state, they would take me with them. And I had a client who moved to Seattle. And so you you just can't go back and check your measurements. Uh, That easily, yeah. And we had a, a piece of furniture custom made for them that was mega thousands of dollars. And I read my numbers wrong. And I ate it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. You you hadn't measured wrong. I mean, did you measure wrong, or you somehow like when you say read it wrong? What happened? I transposed my my okay. figures. I transposed what I was reading mm. incorrectly. Yeah, 
And uh, yeah. Wow. So I measured 10 times and cut once, you know, now. Now, right. So learning from that, not that was, yeah, an expensive mistake like that will certainly prompt a lot of learning and, and, and prevention for sure. Yeah. But, but basically, um, you know, paint can be changed. It's, it's just when you have things that are, are custom made, um, another time I ordered a piece of furniture custom made from the West coast for someone in Boston and the house was being built. All my measurements were correct. However, when the furniture came in, all the moldings had already been put up and I needed about an inch more to make a turn. And they wouldn't allow me to take the molding off to do that. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, 3 a.m., I pop up out of bed and I said, I've got the solution. Yeah. This was another very expensive piece I was going to eat. And I I decided, well, the, the carpeting hasn't gone down yet. The flooring hadn't gone down yet. So we we pulled the piece up from the basement through the floorboards <laughs> yeah. and I had to hire like six people to do that, but it was a lot, lot less money, yeah. you know, than eating that piece of furniture. Yeah. Well, so um, it, with that piece of custom furniture, did you find another home for it or was it so? Oh, no, no. We pulled it up through the floorboards. No, I'm saying, but it, was this, was this two separate stories? Maybe I, I, I no, I, one story. One story. Oh, the oh, house, you did the figure house. out how to make it work. Got yeah. It. At three okay. o'clock in the morning, I jumped out of bed and I said, I've got the solution. We'll pull it up through the floor because we just couldn't make that turn to get it into the bedroom. And they recently sold the house and the piece went with it. I mean, there was no way to get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever okay. bought the, My- the house got that piece with it, it yeah. you know. Okay. Okay. So you figured it out, but it was still something to learn from to not create the risk of that. Absolutely. Of that loss. Gotcha. I never did that again. I never, yeah. but, but, you know, still these, if you're good at what you do and you really care about your clients, you get up at 3am, you know, with a nightmare, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And um, yeah. So right now I'm only working with the people that I've worked with for like 20 years. and. Um, no, no new mistakes, old mistakes. Yeah. So as, as the, um, that's good. As, as owner of the firm, I'm, I'm curious, like how, how did you try to handle situations when an employee of yours made a mistake? I fired her. I've only, um, I had an office manager for 20 years who made a major mistake. Um, and, and I, she had made a lot of, little mistakes and her answer was always oh well oh well this was a major 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 mistake and I wasn't going to take oh well (laughs) and I fired her but that was the only time I ever fired anyone um oh no I I once fired a painter my client came home and found him playing pool (laughs) well in our house sounds like a bad decision on the painter's part but but I'm I'm pretty easy to get along with, and um, unless you really screw up badly, you know I allow parameters. Sure, I'm sure there's some cases where you can try to help someone learn and not repeat it. But maybe something like choosing to play pool in a client's house is just such bad judgment. You're like, okay, I cannot take that risk. No anymore. No right. Um, 
I'm only as good as the people that work for me or the people I refer. And um, I have had a celebrity clientele, which is very alluring to some people, especially when they're athletes. And I would come in and, and find my guy sitting at a table looking at a playbook. Yeah. Like <sighs> right. Bad judgment. Yeah. Yeesh. Um, okay. So one, one last question around interior design and then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about your book. It sounds fascinating. Um, how, what, I'm trying to think how to ask it, like interior design mistakes that a client might really be driving. Like they have some idea and every ounce in your body says that's a mistake. That's a design mistake. How, gosh, how do you have to just, is the customer always right? How no, do you handle that? no, I won't do it. I, I mean, I don't have a style that's mine. <clears throat> Excuse me. I try to find out what the client is looking for and just steer them in the right direction and keep them from making mistakes. If they're adamant, very if, if they're totally adamant about doing something that I disagree with, um, I won't do it. Yeah. I'll say go somewhere else mm. because it's wrong. You're going to be unhappy mm-hmm. and it's it's not going to work because yeah. in the end, I'm the one that gets blamed for anything. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, pe- people will say to me, oh, you're so lucky. It's such a, such a great <laughs> profession. You get to make everything pretty. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The liability is unbelievable. You know, you, you have to know what is a retaining wall, what is, you know, where to put windows. What um, um, I have one thing that does work in my favor, and I may have mentioned this. I have, I'm a synesthete. I have synesthesis. You did not mention that. Oh, okay. I'm a synesthete, which means that um, I, I can just, well, this is only part of it. Basically, it means that when I see numbers and colors and shapes and sizes, it all, I, I my, my um, senses are crossed. So I see them all as one. So like number six is soft. Number six is blue. But the other good part of this is, is that I can look at a room and instantly know what size to put where, what. I can just picture the whole thing together. And that's part of what I do. And I'm very fortunate in that hmm. respect. Yeah. Huh. But well, um, I'm sorry, what? Well, I, I, I was going to ask uh, about the book. Okay. The story of you say, you know, loosely, you know, historical fiction loosely based on your father. What what inspired you? You know, tell us, tell us about the book. Um, I always had a book in me, and but I never thought of writing until the pandemic hit. And anyhow, my father was born in 1904, Koretz, Poland. And what makes his the reason that there are three dots after the title is because so many immigrants came over from Eastern Europe at the beginning of the 20th century, they all have stories. Mm-hmm. So it's like the story of mm-hmm. anyone, everyone. It's, you know, dot, dot, dot. Right. My father, my father 
my father's mother died when he was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And his father, who was a tyrant, a horrible, miserable man, mm -hmm. sent he and his nine-year-old brother to live in the care of a brothel. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm going to America and I will send for you in, when I get enough money. So my father lived in the brothel for three years. Wow. And during that time, he was raped by a Polish soldier. Oh, okay. Shoot. Crap. Sorry. That, okay. that went from wow to terrible really quickly. Sorry. But that part of the book is true. And so I had a lot of meat to begin with. I tried to make it um, nonfiction, but it, it, it just wasn't interesting enough. <laughs> yeah. How, this was something your father was willing and able to talk no. about. And it's no, no. I, I didn't find out about that till after he passed away. Oh, <clears throat> It was a family okay. secret. Oh, okay. Well, understandably so. Yeah. But using that as the baseline for my story, um, you know, my father does end up in America. There's a lot of, there's a love story involved. That's fiction. And the Russian, the Polish soldier comes back into his life in America. And revenge is the word. <laughs> it's mm, right. That's fiction. Yeah. All right. I'm picturing, I mean, it's, Sounds like there's an opportunity to sell movie rights. I mean, well, that's what I want. Anyone I, out there who wants to produce this, it's gotten great <laughs> reviews. Yeah. I mean, it really has. Um, I sent the book to one publishing company. They were a hybrid publishing company. And they said, we'll call you in a few weeks. You know, and they called me in three days. And they said, we want to sign you. Mm, wow. And it's gotten mostly five-star reviews. I mean, it's been such a labor of love. And I'm loving this. Look at, I'm here talking to you. <laughs> your enthusiasm for writing and your enthusiasm for your book now. My enthusiasm, every morning I get up and I'm enthusiastic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah. yeah. Life, life is to be lived. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what I'm going to do in my next career, but I'm not done. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I normally would ask more questions about the book, but since it's a novel and we, you know, we don't want to give away too much, you know, we'll encourage people to go check the book out. I'll put links in the show notes to um, where you. people can, can learn more. Um, but one, one, one quick question um, for people who might not know, what, what do you tell us what you mean by hybrid publisher? This might help people who are looking to write and they're trying to figure out what to do. Okay, well, being my first book, and no one knows who I am, I couldn't just simply send it to Random House or Simon & Schuster, but I did not want to self-publish. Um, I did my due diligence, and I researched, and I found out that a hybrid publishing company is one that takes, they take a little money at the beginning to sign you. I don't know how all hybrid publishers work, but this was the Fulton, Fulton Press, and they do everything from soup to nuts. They do the whole nine yards and they charge you a little money up front. And to me, it seemed like very little for what I got in return. And then they don't take a dime until you've yep. made that back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you basically have nothing to lose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's um, something to be said for um, getting help and assistance you know, even quote unquote self-publishing, it's a bit of a mistake to call it that because if you're really doing it all yourself, I mean, odds are that 
the same person who can write can also edit and do a cover and proofread and you know do all the things that are required um, for for the launch of a book. So yeah, we can find people to help. And 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 you know the hybrid publisher seems more like hiring a general contractor. Yeah. If you were building a house as opposed to being the general con, like when I'm doing books, I'm basically the general contractor hiring different yeah. contractors then to work with me. Some people don't have the time or the interest in, in doing that. So it is interesting to see how different <clears throat> models for help and different business models uh, are out there. I will say <clears throat> I did design the cover. And my understanding from other people is that no publisher will let you do that. Most publishers will not let you do that. But I had a very definite picture in my head of what I wanted the cover to look like. And they allowed me to do that. They read my mind. Um, I also had to approve every second that went into this book. So uh, they could not, like, they would make certain suggestions, you know, regarding grammar or, and if I didn't want to change, they wouldn't change it. Right. Yep. It's your so, book. And yeah, I mean, we're, I've, I've done books previously through a publisher where there's always risk of disagreement around the cover, the title, the length of the book, the pricing. I mean, I think yeah. one advantage of whether you're quote unquote self-publishing or through a hybrid publisher is that you can maintain creative control, business control. They might be advising you the way you advise your interior design clients. They might mm-hmm. say, surely, I think this is a mistake. But Ultimately, like you said, it's it's your vision, it's your product, it's your name, right? It's your family. Right. right. Um, the interesting thing also, and I'm going to put this out there if anybody knows the answer to this question. When I was in the fourth grade, I had a teacher. His name was Mr. Willett, John Willett in Boston. And he gave us, he gave us an assignment to write a poem about spring. And he was so impressed by my poem, he made me read it to the entire school. And he took me aside afterwards and he said to me, don't ever stop writing. You are going to be a great writer one day. And so the only acknowledgement in this book is to Mr. Willett. Now, when I was in the fourth grade, we were his first class out of college. So it's conceivable that he's still alive. But if he's not alive, you know, he must have family that is. And I've gone into the Boston School Department records. I've tried to locate him, but it doesn't go back that far because I was born in the Stone Age. And, um, you know, it's they just don't have anything on him. So I went on Facebook trying to find Mr. Willett, and I still haven't found him. But I have had people get back to me telling me, hey, I was in your fourth grade class. Well, I, 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 so it sounds like you want to thank Mr. Willett very personally and very directly. Oh, that I never forgot he was and that he did. He left quite an impression on me. So surely it sounds like you're, I, I, I hope you find the opportunity to find Mr. Willett. It sounds like you want to, if, if you could face to face, thank you, acknowledgement for that encouragement and that spark that, or that, you know, recognizing the talent that he saw in you, right? Well, you know what, teachers, teachers are an amazing group of people. I mean, it's, I don't think they get enough credit for their profession. And I don't think they realize that no matter how young their students might be, they can leave an impression on them that lasts for life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was only nine years old, and that was a few decades ago. Yeah. A lot of decades ago. But uh, 
Yeah. Well, thank you, teachers. And thank you, Mr. Willett. Um, Yes. Powerful uh, impact. So um, you, you, before we wrap up, Shirley, you'd sort it sounded like you were alluding to the idea of writing again. You might not have another family story quite so compelling. Oh, no, I'm into my second book. Oh, okay. You're, you're already writing. Yeah. Good. Oh yeah. I enjoy it too much. Can, can you tell us a little bit about it then? Um, well, I, I sort of took from the first book. It begin the first it begins with the death of the main character. <clears throat> Excuse me, and then it follows his children, and that's purely fiction. Mm-hmm. It's purely fiction. Okay, but mm-hmm. it has a lot of uh, I like murder and mayhem and blood and guts and <laughs> stuff like that. So yeah. Well, good luck with that. Maybe here's a final question to end on: Are there any mistakes? you can think of from the writing or the production of the first book that you'll manage to not repeat this time? Um, I think that because my book was written during the pandemic and um, it was supposed to be released four months earlier than it was because of supply chain shortages. Um, So I, I think a lot of the marketing of the book fell short. Mm. So I think in my next book, number one, I'm going to try to get an agent because now I can, since I've already been published. Right. And I'm going to try to let them do the marketing and handle that. Yeah. But I still want a movie. <laughs> I still want it. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope that pans <clears throat> out for you too. So, you know, Shirley, congratulations on that first book. Um, I'm glad it's been well received and, um, you know, I know it's, it's all very meaningful to you. So we've covered a lot today. I mean, Shirley's encounter with the secret service, she survived that she survived the TSA, uh, encounter. And I can add one thing to that. Yeah. Um, I was once sitting with a mule on an airplane from Texas to Boston. My flying drug, a drug, a drug mule who was sitting in between me and another passenger. How, how did you know it was a drug mule? Because his drugs exploded in his system. Oh. And yes. he jumped over me into the aisle. And it was a pretty bad scene. So my flying experiences may be over. Do, do not travel with Shirley Novak. Don't yes. travel with me. It's the kiss of death. <laughs> don't, don't go near an airport um, with Shirley. My gosh. But that's three um, for three. So but did that person seem suspicious at all? Oh yeah. He oh, okay. he was he was holding on to his seatbelt so tightly. <clears throat> and the woman next to him offered him her newspaper and he just went, you know, no, no. So he and he was sweating profusely. And, and you might think like, oh, scared the fly, but clearly not. No, no. He he just looked strange. Yeah. And uh then then all the police came on board. They had an ambulance outside and and he happened to be sitting next to me. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, Shirley, thank you for your stories there. <laughs> Thanks for talking about, you know, interior design mistakes and your lessons there and talking about your book and publishing. We covered a lot. So thank you. Very, very interesting um, discussion. Thanks for everything you brought to the episode here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was great meeting you. Good meeting you. Thanks, Shirley. Thanks, Mark. Bye-bye. Well, thanks again to Shirley Novak for being uh, a great guest today. Fun conversation with her. To learn more about her book and more, 
You can look for links in the show notes or go to markgraven.com slash mistake 209. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.